There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Alderson, the deflective goal of the podcast. Just like Tom's, one is never enough. And I'm joined by the Patrick Bamford's knee of the podcast, Adam Elliott. Sorry, Deej, you'll have to be settled just for an assist. And finally, I'm joined by the Jorginho Rutter Never Say Die attitude of the podcast. This man loves for Georgie, also will never die. It has to be Martin Riley, doesn't it? Martin, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, even better, because today was just a normal Sunday, and then I did a little tweet about Matthias Click. Well, about Dan James, actually, but tagged Click into it, and he liked it and replied to it. So, yeah, that's really made my Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but... Depend- probably not just your Sunday, probably just your year. Yeah, yeah um, my life has peaked now. Everything is just downhill from here. Um, yes. I'm doing good. I've I've not added anything special for tea. Just uh, frozen pe- pizza, pepperoni pizza with some wedges. That's about it. But it was all good. How about you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I am not going to lie. I'm sure we were all, but I was absolutely buzzing on Friday night. I was just spent hours. I was trying to go to sleep. I was just watching videos of the of Ellen Road after I because I drove home afterwards, and it was like I was just buzzing. And then I went to Stockport Swindon yesterday, which was nil nil and shit. So that brought me down to. <laughs> that back down to earth quite quickly. I was like, "Oh, all football matches aren't actually like Friday night." Stockport had been um, first in the league for ages as well, hadn't they? And now they've just dropped off for the first time in like literally like four months or something crazy. Unlucky yeah, mate. they've been crap last week. <laughs> it's fine. I don't care. Like we beat Leicester on Friday night. <laughs> Who gives a shit what Stockport are doing? Uh, Adam, how are you? Um, I'm still a little bit hungover. I won't lie, but otherwise okay. I also had a pizza, frozen pizza, mainly because I couldn't be asked. I just needed something, something carby quickly. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty decent now. Um, pretty excited for this one. I think it could be could be quite meaty. Yeah, there's a lot to get into. Yeah, tr- traditionally it was my job to be hungover on a podcast, Adam. So maybe I'm showing my age and I'm I'm fresh and ready. To I go. think it's the second time ever I've been hungover on a podcast. So it's not happened all that often. It is usually you, yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually the, the thing that's tying me out is watching that Liverpool Chelsea game this afternoon because it just it was a bit of a slog. <laughs> quite enjoyed it, but a bit of a slog. Yeah. So we're obviously here to review. Leeds 3-1 Leicester but before that is there any news that we need to cover 
Can anyone think of anything? Because there's, there's literally nothing in my head. To, I can't think to of anything. No, I think we can go. Okay, just back to on. Southampton lost. That was good. Is that news? That that I guess that's news. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I made it even better. And so. I guess we'll talk about the potential for a title race at some point in this podcast. Hopefully. Yeah. I'm sure, I feel like we're missing. There's probably something glaringly obvious that we've missed, but I can't think of anything. So, guess we'll move on to the game summary. And this is a meaty boy, so strap him. So, Leeds started the game with their usual four-two-three-one shape, with Leicester matching them up with their own four-two-three-one. Both teams came out of the blocks aggressively, looking to force their opponent to make mistakes, with both sides having spells of possession. However, it was Leeds who had the best of the early exchanges when it came to scoring chances. However, this was soon shifted when Leicester took advantage of a set-piece opportunity, with Dakar flicking on a ball to the map post, which was headed home from close range to make the score 1-0 in the 15th minute. Both sides struggled to have dominance following the goal, with both having spells of possession, but neither able to keep the other penned in. However, Leeds did settle into the game after the 25th minute, and had most, most of the possession and the chances, with Leicester not having another shot for the rest of the first half. Leeds weren't able to make this dominance pay off, and the half ended 1-0 to Leicester. Leicester came into the second half stronger and asserted themselves physically over Leeds, and despite Leeds edging the possession battle, Leicester were the only team creating chances for much of the first 20 minutes of the half, with Leeds only managing one shot by the 63rd minute. Leicester had a number of big scoring chances, but weren't able to convert them into goals, which left the door open for Leeds to gain ground and make more inroads into the final third, which eventually paid off in the 80th minute when Georgie Rutter bundled his way into the box. The ball was knocked loose and Connor Roberts seized the opportunity to strike past Hermanson to make the score one all. The momentum shifted drastically after the goal with the home crowd urging Leeds forward and Leeds quickly followed up with a second goal thanks to some more lovely work from Rutter who played in Archie Gray at the edge of the box who struck and scored thanks to some help from two deflections bringing the score to 2-1 in the 83rd minute. Leicester struggled to get back into the game and Leeds continued applying pressure and in the closing stages of the bo- the stages, Rutter won a free kick on the edge of the box which was struck by Dan James. However, Patrick Bamford stuck a knee out deflecting the shot, putting the ball past Hermanson and the game ended shortly after at the score 3-1 to Leeds. This gave Leeds yet another win and closing the gap to Leicester to just six points. I'm out of breath already just reading that out. I had a little nap there. I think I feel a bit better now. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely stuff. So, as we said, and as I'm sure you're all aware, there's a lot to get stuck into, so let's get into it. So, this first question is from Twitter, and our, there's a lot of letters and numbers after the uh, handle, so apologies, I'm not going to read that out. But, how did Leicester set up to neutralise our build-up? Richard from the Discord asked a similar question, where he says... Was Leicester's press set up to allow Joe Rodon to have most of the ball? Adam, I know you've got a lot to say on this one, so I'll go to you first. Yeah, um, I think the obvious answer is is yes, um, to start with. I think Maresca got it pretty spot on, actually. Um, Obviously, we were able to to get out and progress the ball at periods of the game, but they were clearly funneling the ball to the right-hand side more, um, and particularly mostly with Rodon. And it was effective. Let's be honest. It, it, even though we did get out, and Roden has, you know, made some decent passes in the game. He absolutely has. He was still a bit of a trigger for them. Um, he obviously got through a fair amount of work um, and has quite a lot of good progressive passes, uh, which we put out on our Twitter page. So go check that out, please. We put a few data visuals out. 
um, player pass maps. So please do go look. <laughs> but yeah, um, for me, he was sort of forced to play some pretty risky balls into midfield areas. And obviously that's fine for players to do that in some areas of the pitch, but easily it could have just gone wrong and a turnover's created and you know, then they could easily score from that because it's not the right area you really want to be turning the ball over. He can't just pass it sideways, I get that, and it was pretty difficult to find passes to Ampadu and Gray because they were um, man-marking or like hunting in little packs where they could, but he was clearly one of the main triggers for them and they wanted him to have the ball. Um, I don't know if they'd identified him as a particular weakness. I don't think he's actually like terrible on the football. He's not. He's a decent footballer on the ball. Uh, he's not as good as some of our other defenders, though, so maybe that is why. Um, but yeah, it did feel to me like it was, it was clearly something they'd planned for um, and I think we did get away with a few. Uh, I think he did play some nice passes, like I say, but there were a few even when I was watching back. It wasn't as bad, I will say, that on the watch back uh, as I felt in the the first sort of 20, 25 minutes in particular of the first half, but there were still a few moments where I was doing a bit of a Gary Neville, ooh, like when he risked a few into into the centre of the pitch. So, yeah, um, definitely by design for them. And, yeah, Kieran Kieran Dewsbury Hall is an excellent footballer and he had a really good game. He was kind of always around or nearby to to press onto him or, and I think Hobbsy um, defined it as jumped onto him uh, so yeah he was always in close proximity to on to do that and yeah again it was it was something that they got a bit of joy out of could they have got more out of yes they probably could uh, I think they they probably didn't make the most of it but it was still a bit of a, an issue for us and took a bit of time for it to settle down especially after the, like I say the first sort of 20-25 minutes and I don't think it was from our own volition it was clearly a, a planned Leicester thing in my opinion um, but I think Martin might maybe not fully disagree but disagree somewhat with that well, yeah, there's a few things that, that I don't entirely agree, but I do agree with a lot of stuff that you did say, especially with regards to what Leicester were trying to do. And they were definitely trying to force Roden to have more pressure onto him. They were blocking passing lanes between Melier and Ampadu quite often. Um, it was um, Fatau who was doing a lot of blocking there. And then you, you would also have um, at Dewsbury Hall who would be blocking passing lane central as well. And then, so when, when the ball came through the road and he had to, try, had to carry the ball wide and get the ball to whoever he could. And he, he did have a number of times where that didn't work and he was playing a lot of risky balls. But to me, I'm a fan of risk-taking, especially when it comes to these kind of games, because these low percentage passes, when they work, they come off and yeah. are very good. Like the first time, I think probably the first time that he really got on the ball, he did that. And that was the... Um, the pro chance where, where he sort of caught it wrong in this way. I think there's a nice little interplay between Nonto and Gray for the, the, that, that sh- the shot, but it was Roden who initiated it by throwing the ball out wide and getting the ball into uh, Nonto first, and then he passed it wide to Gray, I think. So, yeah, that, that, I'm a fan of, the, of that kind of thing from centre-backs and felt like he did the best that he could in the situations that were put to him. And I'm not sure in some of the what else he could really have done other than playing a ball backwards to one of the other centre-backs who most likely the ball have had that often covered already. It was a very difficult set of circumstances for him. And he came out of it He came out of it very well, in my, in my opinion. Obviously, Adam doesn't think that's no problem at all. We don't always have to agree on this pod. But it was... But some of the things that he was doing were good. Some of the things that he was doing were bad. But I think the one element that he did get right was trying to make those high-risk balls, which is something that you want to do in these sort of games. 
because if you don't make take those chances with your passes, you're never going to get anywhere. And a few of the ones which you did do did lead to chances. So I think it's probably worth the risk in in that sense. Um, I'm not sure if, if you're anything different on this one, Tom. Um, I probably I agree with you both, and I disagree with you both, um, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Martin. I think he's he's trying to play those passes because he's kind of been forced to, and I do think he did the best in the situation that he could, but I still think he struggled personally, um, even when I watched it back. So I, th- I think it's it's fair to say that he couldn't have done any better, and also he didn't do very well. As just largely overall on our build-up, um, I didn't think it was as bad as people were making out overall. It wasn't um, as bad on the watchback, definitely no, not. I said that live at halftime in the group chat that I didn't feel it was as bad as everyone else was making out to be, and I came away from watching it back to thinking the same. We did have a number of chances to score before Leicester did. Leicester didn't create any big chance in the first half through open play. The only chance they had was from a set piece. And we had a number of times. We could have scored three goals in that first half if things would have worked out a little bit differently. So, to me, we had a better chance in the first half in open play. Not overall, of course, because they scored. And set pieces are definitely valid ways of scoring. But say that I built, people saying that I built up was totally nullified by Leicester, I think is... No, know, that's true. an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Like, I think, and I think, I think it was more in the second half that the build-up struggled. I think, I think Rodon personally struggled more in the second half. I think in the first half, he was pretty much okay. Um, I, I was the same with you, Martin, that I, I came away at half-time thinking we've actually been unlucky there. We, do, we don't deserve to be losing this game, probably. Um, but yeah, people that are saying that they completely nullified our build-up, are, especially in the first half, I think are over-egging it. I think in the second half, they because of game, game state, they their out-of-possession play was more effective, but they could sit in a bit more and they still just hit us when on the break. So... Yeah, that's all totally fair. Um, I, I can't really disagree. I just guess, like, and if quite a few people said this, I think Ethan said it as well, um, it, it was one of those games where, and this is across both halves, where I just personally felt Pascal was missing and and I missed him more than usual. And that doesn't mean to say we weren't nullified, like you both said, and to create like at least three good chances in the first half in particular kind of shows that we did at least get the ball out a, f- a fair few times. And you're not going to have it all your own way against a pretty good quality opposition with a lot of pace in their, in their front line as well. So like when we're talking about them pressing and, and triggers and things like that, a lot of these players cover ground really quickly. Like Jusby Hall is probably the slowest of the four, and yet he's not slow. Like they were able to just like really, really quickly like enact their own game plan. But yeah, I just had a few numbers just because I wanted to disagree with Martin a little bit more. <laughs> but basically, yeah, Ampadu I felt like was one of the better players when we were able to get it to him in either half um, in terms of progression. Um, obviously, some of the data that you, we've put out on the on the page today on the Twitter page maybe doesn't fully back this up, but then I also just wanted to look at um, pass accuracy, and I think this is a pretty rubbish stat in general, but one thing it does kind of show a little bit is retention and, and risk, I guess. Um, and in centre-backs you normally have in, in teams that aren't Neil Warnock and um, Tony Pulis teams, they'll probably have quite high percentage, and Ethan Ampadu had 91% in this game, and I think Rodan was 84 or 85%, which is obviously not dreadful at all, but it just kind of shows that he was probably taking a few more risks. 
I think. So, yeah, I, I think it is one of those where it was a bit of a problem, but not maybe as much of one when I rewatch. And to be honest, I could say that about a lot of Leeds games. Um, you think there's a problem and then you watch it back and it's actually not as bad as you thought. It was maybe a little bit of an issue, but not not dreadful. But yeah, um, the, the, the main thing for me is that you were talking about taking risks, Martin. And although I agree a lot of that is, is fair, like you, you should do that in, in a lot of areas, I kind of want my risk takers to be further up the pitch because I just, if, if your defence loses the ball and turn the ball over, it's your last line. Like if Roden fails to make a pass into midfield and they quickly snap in and take it off us. They could have a situation where we're on the back foot in terms of our defending. The defence is not quite set because they're not expecting him to make the mistake um, and it can be quite chaotic in, in that sort of transitional moment. Um, so that's what I was a bit more worried about. Whereas if, if Ruter or Nanto or Somerville loses the ball in the final third, it's not really going to have the same impact or same effect anywhere near as much. Um, so that's why I was a little bit... Like, like I said, Gary Neville, ooh, on a few of those passes. But yeah, I do get what you're saying. I think with the uh, taking passes, the more one I'm talking about is the long over the top ones. Okay, they're um, fine, on, yeah. <laughs> so, on, so on the uh, the pass maps, you can see a big streak of red um, on, the, on the right, towards the right half space, where he was trying to find Nonto and with those kind of balls. And those were the ones which I, I was glad that he was doing. And she saw the same thing from Ampsy on the other side. So that, that's the sort of thing that we want as a centre to be doing is trying to find those long passes over the top, um, especially because I, I think the midfielders maybe they had less space and time to try to enact those passes. So that's why they weren't able to get as many of them off as what they maybe would do normally. Um, maybe not um, Amara, he doesn't generally go for longer passes that often. He's more of an in, more in-play midfielder to, who builds up to the final third, uh, whereas Groove would probably normally try to do those longer passes. But they have a really good man approach for all the midfielders, and also anyone dropping deep. We saw it when Georgie was dropping deep; they had someone following him. When Try was dropping deep on the other side, they had someone following him. So it it did make these sort of incisive passes that little bit more difficult. And it's a similar thing to what we did to Leicester in the first game, um, right? We put out those sort of passes well, and that's the sort of same sort of thing that Leicester was trying to do in this game, and with some success, some of the passes which. Rodham's work working towards didn't happen, but some of them did, and I'm okay with that. But we don't have to always agree on this one, and it's totally fine. I, I want to come back to what you said about Ampadu and Strauch, Adam, because I, I thought the same thing at the time, and, and I still do now, that I think it was a game where we did miss Strauch in build-up, and I also agree that Ampadu clearly was able to progress the ball better than Rodon does, but I think there's, there's a flip to that where if I start with Strauch, is do we just have the same issues if Strauch's playing and Rodon's not and playing because they're still funneling it to Rodon? And that's a question I'll let you answer in a minute. But the the other question point I, ha- I was thinking is because Leicester were set up in a way to fun- let the ball go to Rodon and then that's their trigger. Did that then leave space for Ampadu to progress the ball because he had he had that space? Like he felt like he was able to bring the ball out easier. He was able to pass the ball out easier, but rather than what Rodon was doing. So what what do you think on those two questions? Um, well, yeah, um, 100% actually do agree that if Strauch's playing, they probably still have the same game plan, largely. Um, but a little bit more on that is that, well, I think Ampadu... I'm, I'm, I thought both of our midfielders were pretty good, but I think Ampadu is our best midfielder, and I think he probably helps if he's there and Strauch's there and Roden's there, rather than the combination we had on Friday night. Just my opinion. I know a lot of people in the fan base don't really agree about dropping one of Kamara or Gruev, but I just think he is our best midfielder. 
Um, and I think, yeah, his I don't remember the second question, but basically, yeah, his his ball carrying is particularly useful and he has that in his locker. If you have him and Strouk able to do that, um, I think that that's another way of us progressing the ball and building up. Um, obviously, Ampadu did that a few times and, and then would play a nice pass usually at the end of it. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's one thing. Well, what was the second question again, quickly? Uh, so the second question was, was Ampadu able to progress the ball because of the way Leicester set up? So because they were tri- using Rodan as the trigger, did that actually leave space for Ampadu? It depends on where the where the ball was. I guess that was more of a situational thing because a lot of the time, like Martin mentioned, they were cutting off the passing lanes, or they were almost aggressively man marking him and just making it really difficult to to make that pass. But um, obviously, in, in certain scenarios, the ball was was in a different area of the pitch, or Roden carries it out and actually it opens up an angle at that point. So that really is just a situational thing for me. I don't know. If Martin's got a different answer to that. I can see what Tom's talking about here. Um, there was definitely a little bit more space on Ampadu's side of the pitch for to carry into, and that was really demonstrated by the uh, ball-carrying stats that he had in this game. Um, he put up the most on the pitch with 331 yards of progressive carrying distance, and he was very good at finding that space when it was there, but the space was there for him to, for him to get into. That's what I mean by the way that they were funneling the, the ball, that when... We did get the ball through Tramp too. There was that bit more space because of the way they were forcing the ball to go to go through. And so yeah, it's it, it definitely did have an impact. And just about Strauch, if this track was in, I think that was the, the original other question wasn't it about Strauch being in rather than do. I do definitely agree with Adam that it would have helped if we would have had Ampadu in the midfield area. There's a certain parts of his game which he has over both Murat and Groove. Certain things which which they also have over him. So it's, it's just a combination of different things that I, that I would have preferred and do in midfield for this game, even though he did do very well at centre-back. That is because there was that extra space for him to carry into, in my opinion. No, not to say he did that discounts how good he was, because it doesn't. Like he, he was still very good. But I think maybe with how good he did, it may have made Roden's contributions that little bit less effectual. I think that's another thing with Ampadu, actually, just more generally speaking, um, across all the games he's been playing at centre-back, he has a little bit more time, and he's a midfielder, so like he feels that time a little bit more, but then he didn't have that as much in this game, and he, he was kind of forced, like you mentioned, just to, to carry the ball in certain situations, because there wasn't really an angle on for a pass, so he'd, he'd take the ball out, and then a pass would suddenly open up, and it just made more sense, and he's brilliant at it, and I'm glad the data kind of backs it up, that he was our most progressive carrier, because he absolutely was. I have a quite I'm going off script here a bit, so apologies. Um so you both said that you think you'd prefer Ampadu in midfield and uh, with if Strout came back and based on this game alone, who who would you replace him in the double pivot with? And and yet you can say that in after watching the game, but do you think that's the same as what you'd have said before the game? I'll, co- I'll come to you first, Martin. Sorry I've thrown this at you and it's a bit oh, of a difficult question. No, that's fine. I enjoyed it. That's the a good question. question. Good question. It was a very good question. Uh, so yeah, if I was to choose which one which player to take out, I don't know, I would probably say Camera. Um, but that's not the slight on Camera. That's more because I want to see how Ampadu would do further up the pitch. Um, because that's not something that we've seen him take on yet. Most of the time, when he's been in midfield areas, he's been the deeper of the two midfielders. Um, so I would like to see Groove and Ampadu. I think that's got a lot of potential in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that's what I would see, but not as a slight to camera, just more because I want to see it. <laughs> I've I've answered this question kind of briefly on another um, pod, but basically I would like to see the same um, and not in the setup that we played where we played Ampadu next to Gurev against 
I think it was Stoke, wasn't it? Um, and that had Gruever's the furthest forward of the two and Ampadu is the first receiver. I agree with Martin. Swap them around um, in terms of their roles. I think Ampadu could do a really good job in the in the slightly more advanced role. Maybe not in a in a really like attacking sense in terms of scoring goals or whatever. Not that Kamara scored himself this season, but that's not really his game. But in ball-carrying terms and also... For the press, I think he'd be really, really good in that area because he's a he's a little bit more athletic. Um, actually, not than Camera, but in general, he is a little bit more athletic than quite a lot of our other players in those spaces, and um, he can kind of enact the press from a, a higher position, which is what Tyler Adams used to do uh, under Jesse Marsh, obviously. And I think that it could work a bit like that, so I wouldn't mind seeing it. But actually, going to disagree slightly with Martin because I don't think after a game that he's just had. Glenn Kamara can come out of the team um, and I think that yeah you just go back to that maybe for a bit if, if Strout was fit tomorrow I actually think I would drop Gruev but I'd, like I say I'd like to see him and Ampadu at some stage it's just that right now if you put a gun to my head I would say Ampadu next to Kamara See I'm going to cop out and say it depends on which game Yeah yeah that's, that's <laughs> um, So because I think based on watching this game back that you can't drop Kamara say like we're going to play Leicester again tomorrow I don't think you can drop Kamara and I think that's why I put him and Ampadu as the two. But then there's games where I definitely would want Ampadu and Gruev against like a lower block, say, because I don't maybe you don't want Kamara in that one. So which is basically ideal, isn't it? That's what you you want from from having options. You want different options for different op- uh, to counter different opposition setups. My response to that would be about Ruth's performance in this game because he was very very underrated in, by a lot of people in this game. Yeah, he really grew and, into it, didn't he? Yeah, no, he did. No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> I like the pun. I like the pun. It's good. Um, but yeah, that he completed what ninety four percent of his passes against the second best team in the league because we're obviously the best team in the league. <laughs> we beat, we beat Leicester twice. Uh, but yeah, um, so if he can do that against one of the best team in the league as well as being reasonably prog- progressive, he didn't have the most progressive passes in the team, but he did still get get forward and did a number of good things. So if he can have that performance against one of the best in the league, that's who I would want in my deep one, the one who is making the higher volume passes and he's been more secure with them. I think he's probably got the best. Um, I think him and Camera are pretty quite close now because the first game that, that Groove had in wasn't that great. So that's brought his stats down. But I think when they've played in the even amount, I would expect Groove's completion to be slightly higher than Camera's. Um, but yeah, they're both fantastic players and it's great to have options in midfield. But that for me, that's just yeah, it's the strongest why. area of our squad, isn't it? I think easily, easily. Um, I'm going to strongly disagree on well, not not strongly, but I'm going to disagree on Gro's performance. I think those past stats are inflated by the fact in the second half he dropped in to build up, and we were there effectively playing a back three against Leicester's pressing one, and he was kind of just facilitating the build up rather than adding. Feel like he was adding a lot at times, so I think that's why his passing stats looked as good as they did. Whereas I think Kamara retained the ball really well. Under more pressure, yeah. all under pressure. So I, I came away from the game really impressed by Kamara and actually a bit frustrated. I'd, I would be interested to know if the, there was an instruction on Gruev to drop in and help build up, or he was dropping in because at times it felt like he wasn't needed there when we needed him further the pitch when it when it was only Dakar pressing for Leicester when they were ahead. So yeah, I was. I don't think I was as impressed with Gruev as both you guys were in this one. I just think he he got better as the game went on. I think Kamara was good throughout but I think Grove was better like in the latter stages and I, I get what you're saying actually because I think um, Tom Wilson mentioned that they, they weren't pressing very aggressively at that stage and, and we had three players in defence and there wasn't actually that that many Leicester players around them but yeah um, I still think he 
was being progressive where he needed to be. I, I don't like necessarily love pass completion as a start, as I mentioned before, but he was still getting the ball into good areas when um, we needed to punch passes in. And I liked that. And so, yeah, I can't complain too much. But I do think Kamara was the better of the two. I will follow up the first question now then after I've taken us on that tangent. Apologies. Um, so the follow-up was from Jamie in the Discord and he asked, what could we have done differently to try and counter Leicester's out-of-possession setup? It feels weird to look for improvements after we won the match 3-1, but we did get battered for most of the match. Did we do anything differently? It felt like we improved from around 20 minutes in. And did anything change from us or Leicester? Martin, do you want to go first on this one? I don't personally think there is anything too different that we could have done. Leicester's out-of-possession approach was very good. Um, it, it, it targeted a lot of areas which caused problems, and they put us under a lot of pressure. But we still did work our way through them quite often. And regards to the thing which happened around 20 minutes in, that was game state. The Leicester dropped off quite a bit in their press, which made it easier for us to progress the ball. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's anything too differently that we could have done in this one. Um, with the players who were, on, who were on the pitch, I think that was the best that we could do. And we, and we did reasonably well. The worst period, obviously, was in the start of the second half. But even then, when I watched back, it wasn't as bad as what I expected. I, th- I expected it to look a lot worse than where it did, but we actually were quite ball dominant in the opening 20 minutes and the main problem from Leicester were coming in their transition attacks. And that was where I think I think all of their scoring chances came from in the second half was them nicking ball off us around the middle third of the, of the pitch. So sort of after we've gone through the build-up phase and got around there, high press, and then it was just generally the few things I noticed was just, just like a couple of sl- sloppy touches and which were able to be pounced on or taken just a little bit too long on the ball. The one particular one from Furpo, I think about 60th minute in, where Fatawa probably was the ball. Shy. That was so bad. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it just took well too long on the ball and you can't give a guy like Fatawa that much time to press you. <laughs> so yeah, the little things like that was more the reason why we, sh- we struggled in that opening period. I think maybe it was, was lulled into a false sense of security by how well the first half ended for us. And so we... Maybe didn't move with enough speed on the ball as what we could have done. So, but yeah, I don't think there's anything too much different we could do on in build. I'm not sure if Adam has any thoughts on this. Yeah, the um, I, I can't disagree about what you said around sort of 20 minute mark. Um, it was just game state, wasn't it? I think they were probably told manage the game, manage the crowd. I know we don't always talk about intangibles here, but it's definitely a big thing. Like you don't want Leeds to score early and then the crowd is really up for it. it just wouldn't have been good and as you can see by the time we got it to 1-1 the crowd really had a, a big effect I think on the team in general at that point that's probably going to help us win the game as well as a couple of lucky deflections but we can pass over that but yeah like when it was in the first sort of 20 minutes it was very much a let's aggressively press and, and sort of man mark quite high from Leicester um, and see if we can get some joy from this and they get the goal from the set piece um, and then, yeah, they just dropped off a little, didn't they? It wasn't like a dramatic shift, but enough so that they that we were able to get out a little bit better throughout the pitch, um, and that was good. But yeah, um, the second half, like you say, it was more that transition attacks, and it's again because they dropped a little bit deeper still at that point, and and they were more aggressively defending against us man to man, like Vestergaard were following Rutera around again, um, which obviously Phillips did um, for Plymouth in the in the previous game, and, and they were they were more aggressive in, in deeper areas than they were uh, in our in our own half, so they just slowly like got further and further back, I think, and. That was fine. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. <laughs> I, th- I think the only thing I'll add is, and we'll, we'll cover this later, but I think the subs 
I say, say like we'd have started with Bamford and James, I think you would have probably seen the same difference that we did when they came on. Because if you've got, if it, to me in the first half, it felt like there was a lot of ball to feet and not, so like Rodon was trying those balls over the top and there wasn't like a Dan James there trying to get them or a Bamford stretching the pitch. It felt like the, the pitch was very compact because all our four attackers wanted the ball to feet and then Leicester were tr- like triggering that on Rodon getting the ball and there wasn't a lot to do and like all those all the players were in the centre. So I think if we'd have started with Dan James and or Bamford, I think we might have seen a, maybe a few less issues in the press um, and I think that might have made life easier in the second half as well. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with, with parts of that, but I also felt that Nanto was reasonably effective in this game with his work when he was receiving the ball, especially that opening chance from Perot. Him and Gray, Gray had a lovely interchange in, in that move. And he had a number of other times where he brought the ball down really nicely from long passes. I just went, when I was watching back, I took a clip of one of them. I'll tell you afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's easy to see. It is a number of little things like that which were just very good. But I do agree that Dan James would have been more effective with the over the top stuff because he has the most pace in our side by a long shot. Nanto is, of course, not slow, and but he, but his pace is more over short distances. It's more about his agility and able to turn quickly, whereas Dan James is just, has just got that raw pace and he has a beating of any player in the, in the championship. I'm sure I don't think there's anyone who can beat him in a foot race. But yeah, I would agree, especially with Bamford as well, because Perot really didn't offer a lot in the game. Uh, he was very ineffectual and didn't really complete any passes at all. I think he, I think he may have had the worst pass completion inside, if I remember correctly. Yes, he did. He, he should have 60- bloody passed it to Somerville. <laughs> yeah, he had he had sixty four percent pass completion, which is quite bad, <laughs> especially since he is usually quite reliable when you. Getting the ball to him is usually one who will keep the ball moving and pack it into the right areas, but in this game he really did struggle. So if I think if we would have had Bamford on, that would definitely have made a big impact as well as James. Yeah, I, I agree that like I think Nanto did a good job with the balls over the top. I just think Dan James be more effective. I, I think Nanto had a good game. I'm not it's just I think he he is more inclined to go ball to feet than Dan James is. Not quite a lot of our forwards are like that, aren't they? But we did we did have chances, didn't we? Like it wasn't like we didn't have, create chances through various things that we did like we mentioned we had three pretty good chances in the first half i think perot should pass that not shoot like i said uh, nonto should have shot when he didn't he, he had a pretty decent game but that was a poor decision so there was some just like cutting edge um issues i think in the final third um i guess like a lot of people are thinking oh less with a better team and they probably were but it's not like we didn't have a few chances it's just like the ones that went in were probably like less um, high quality ones. They're probably more more lucky ones in the end. I think we could have probably scored uh, some of the easier ones like that Nonto one. I think for me, it's just like take a touch and shoot, mate. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, um, so it, it wasn't a disaster. I think a lot of people are, are obviously happy about the three points. I think I'm quite slightly off topic here, but I'm going to keep talking. Um, a lot of people were happy about the, the three points. But yeah, we obviously did have moments and in the game and it's just one of those and I think this might be a little bit more like what it looks like next season if we do get promoted as well we've got another question now from the person with letters and numbers in their twitter handle which so I'm apologies for that uh but they have asked I feel the game was full of big opportunities but that the xg does not reflect that what does the expected threat say now expected threat isn't really available but we'll just talk around this anyway. Uh, Martin, I'll come to you on this first. So yeah, like you said, firstly, we, we don't have access to expected threat um, in the championship, um, which is a wi- very widely used metric. And it's, it's good though. Yeah, it's, it's a good metric, of course. 
but I would agree with what he's saying that there were a lot of times where we didn't create XG from good areas. There was the chance which has already been said about Nonto. I don't know if that he actually did get a shot off in the end. I can't remember if he did. I don't think he did. I don't no. think that came up on XG. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah, that was just unfortunate. I think I think it, he had the right instinct to take a touch to get it onto his stronger foot, but the touch was just dreadful. <laughs> He just he, he put too much too much onto it, and I think maybe he thought he had more time than what he did. But he would take a slight touch and then just hit it, or even just hit it first time on his weaker foot in the near post, and he could easily have scored from that. I think, and that's what that was unfortunate. And then there was the other chance, um, which uh, where Rutter played through Somerville into the box, and then uh, Vestergaard made a good, a good challenge. Yeah, fair play to him. He still can't pit, so. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it probably would have been a bit more if we would have got shots off in those scenarios. And I think we definitely could have scored in that first half. We had a few chances where we could have done so. And I think probably expected threat would probably be reflective of that. We got the ball into their final third, I think, in more dangerous areas than what they did, especially in the first half. In the second half, obviously, they did have the better of the, of the open player chances. But in the first half, we definitely did have, have more. Adam, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, we did, but it's also important to note that Leicester probably should have won this game and had it killed off at at 1-0, made it 2-0 with one of the ones they had, and that's why I think XG and XT are useful, um, because like you say, there was a few moments moments that you've just mentioned there that we didn't get shot away, and that would have definitely inflated our XG numbers, and and I wish we did have XT, because I think it would have helped to assess that a little bit better, but then they obviously had actual chances that that would have did shoot from that they probably should have done a lot better with. Big, big shout-out to Melier for one of the saves he made. That was one of the best saves he's made all season. Really, really good um, for Mavididi's chance. Then Mavididi had another one that he missed. Daka had one. That was really poor. That was a really, really poor shot. And and you said on the preview that you were... Um, so you can you can definitely take this one, Martin. You said that he's not got the best shot conversion or something like that, or the, not the best finisher. And then he did that, and it just made me smile because when I saw it, I thought, yeah, Martin's going to love that one because he basically called it. Um, but they did have like a few like that, so it's pretty important to note that they easily could have. And I don't think the goal that obviously didn't stand counts as an, a shot, does it? It's, it goes down as just offside. So, yeah, that, again, would have added to their XG. But, yeah, so the, the XG numbers maybe don't fully do it justice, but I still think they were probably the better team and should have killed the game with one of those transition attacks at 1-0 and to, and to make it 2-0. And they probably would have done in the end. Um, obviously, after we got our goal back, I mentioned before, a, a few intangibles changed, and that's probably what helped us get over the line in the end. It, it is a, a genuine thing, like the crowd lift, um, to make it one more, and then from there onwards, it just goes a bit, bit mental. You were there, Toldo, so you could tell us a bit more. But it sounded like it was absolute chaos by the end of the game, um, and that's probably why you were watching all those those crowd videos at the end. But yeah, that that I think that that was probably the big difference, like in in terms of the game at the end. Um, I just found it really interesting. I, I don't want to ask a question around this, so please don't fire one back at me. But I just found it really interesting how different the two games were um, between us and Leicester. Like we were the much much better team in the first game, and we basically nullified them for most of the game in terms of their attacks. Probably not one at the end that they had, and in this one they had a, quite a lot more of the game, and yeah, we ended up actually winning it. So very very happy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Maybe we could dig into that in a bonus episode at some point. Yeah, be a good Look comparison. Two different see the two games. I think it'd be quite nice, be quite interesting just to watch the games again, and, and more so because they're probably the most Premier League sort of standard side that we've faced and probably will ever face this season they are probably the other best team in the league so it makes it even more interesting to see how that might extend to next season yes um whilst we're talking about stuff that martin mentioned on the preview pod he did point out leicester set pieces 
XG not being great, and I, and then as far as I think I, my exact quote was, "Oh, there'll probably be a one nil Leicester win from a set piece." Then, and I, I was sat there at the, in the ground going, "For fuck's sake! <laughs> like, why did I have to say that?" Um, yeah, it's, I also agree with what you said about the. Yeah, I think I don't need to say this really, but it's the it's the old intangibles, isn't it? The, the they kind of sank when it went one all, and the crowd was on the back, which you can't really put a measure on, can you? It just it happens in games. Um, yeah, apart from that, not going much more to say. I think on the the Nonto chance specifically, I think Hermanson actually did quite well. He came out very quickly and it made Nonto think and he did the job. So I was, that's, that was kind of my takeaway on that one. But yeah, I think Nonto should have just shot first time across and just see what happens. Um, we'll do one more question uh, before we have, we have the little break. And because of, I'm conscious of time, I'm, could you give me sort of a one word answer, maybe a short description, um, description why on this one. So Probably a question for the, the longer term rather than for now, but with the Premier League a distinct possibility, um, our fantastic editor Paul has asked us, is your opinion on Falk higher or lower after that game, Adam? I think I still have, he leaves a lot to be decided in terms of um, game in-game management. Um, I think the subs he could have made earlier and they had a positive effect, as we saw, but he decided, even though they were creating quite a few chances in the opening sort of, 15, 20 minutes of that second half, he should have made them sooner. And I have a little bit concerned about that because I don't think you can get away with it too much in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, um, I just think, like I said, most Premier League sort of standard team. So it's a good measure right now of where we're at. But obviously a lot of things are going to change between now and then in terms of recruitment. And that'll be very key in terms of what we do there. Like we've seen what happened with Burnley getting promoted. And you need to get that right because they just haven't got that right at all. And it's just not... It's not uh, translated very well. Um, so yeah, that that is one of the big things. And, and he has had his hand tied behind his back with Norwich before. And I don't think he's going to have the same treatment if we get promoted. I think he'll have a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it was just a bit of a weird one. I, I think I am a little bit concerned, but I think it's a, a proper pod this summer. I think we'll cover that in a lot of detail if we get promoted. Martin, could you give a shorter answer than Adams, please? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's fine. It's, it's all right. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> my opinion on Fark is around about the same as where it was before this match. Um, I don't think there was anything major which he did wrong. Um, the subs were could have been done a little bit sooner. Um, but other than that, I felt it was a relatively well-managed game. He did all that he could do with the personnel available to him, in my opinion. Maybe James starting would have been a better, better choice. Um, but Bamford starting, we're still not sure on how fit he was. He was very close to being fit in this one, so he, he may not have been able to start... So that's the only difference with that. But yeah, same as before, I'm giving that answer. One really last quick thing is the amount of luck we've had this season in comparison to some of the other teams in the automatic race. It doesn't mean we haven't had any. I think we have. But like so much less variance has gone our way compared to teams like Ipswich. So when a deflected goal like Archie Gray's goes in and we win a game that we weren't at our best and I'm not too bothered. Let's put it that way. But hopefully we don't have to rely on that too much. But yeah. Um, I agree with you, Martin. I think my opinion of Fark is the same on this one. I think there was it shows that maybe we can be outdone tactically but maybe he's got I don't know he's got he's got the best squad he's ever had so maybe that's looking maybe he's doing better than he has in the past because of that maybe he is I don't know I still I'm still quite undecided on him to be honest generally I don't I don't even know if I will make a decision at any point in the season but yeah I've got concerns but also I think there's he's doing some things well like he he did adapt better in the game today than he has done in the past um so yeah but yeah in my opinion on this after this game isn't much change in fact to be honest I don't think he did anything really good or really bad in this game so before we move I know we have only just completed the first half of the analysis but before we move on to the second half of our analysis it is time for an ad break 
but before that happens, I have to plug the Patreon. Don't worry, patrons, you don't have to listen to this part. So, our patrons can get access for as little as £1.99 per month, which gives you ad-free podcasts, and if you want to pay a little bit more, you get other benefits, including early access to our preview pods, analysis articles, videos, and bonus podcasts. If you want to find more about our patron, where do they need to go, Martin? Patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W patron. Beautiful. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, let's get back to the analysis and talk about players a bit more, more rather than the tactic stuff. We're going to talk about Rutter now, Martin, so mm. I will come to you on first, um, because I'm pretty sure... Like, I can't go to Adam first, could I? That'll be wrong. So, with two games in a row now where he's been a bit off it, and I do that with air quotes, uh, James on Twitter asked, why did Georgie manage to make such an impact from the 75th min- minute onwards? Was it Bamford pinning back players or just him playing better? And a different James on Twitter asked, interestingly, we were much more dominant once once Bamford and James came on. Why was that? Did they improve our press with us defending higher from that point? And it also seemed to create space for Rutter. So, Martin, talk to us about Rutter, please. So, first first of all, um, it wasn't only 75 minutes onwards where Rutter was effective. He was effective throughout the game. Yes, in the first half there were moments where he held onto the ball just a tad too long. Um, but that's the player he is. He's always going to be like that. He's always going to, to to want to do things his way, and when it does come off, it's great. And he came, and he came through. I think he was responsible in some way for nearly all of our chances in the first half. He he definitely had his hand in two of them. Um, I can't remember if he did in the first row chance, but he definitely was the one who was making things tick for us. And if anyone's seen the tweet which we put out earlier on, Georgie, uh, he was first for pretty much every attacking metric you can think of. Progressive passive, progressive carries, uh, shot creating actions, goal creating actions, take ons, all the you, you name it. Attacking start, he was the best on the pitch, not just for Leeds, on the pitch. And that all didn't come from the 75th minute onwards. It was throughout the game. But because people always focus on the, the negative parts, it, it's led people to think that he had a, a really bad game, especially in the first half. And yeah, I'm not going to say he didn't have moments where he held on to it too long. He did. And that was unfortunate. That's just. Player he is. There's one particular moment where he tried to do some sort of step over after a, a, a couple of decent touches, and if it would have come off, my my word, I've also recorded a clip of that because it made me gasp. Um, yeah, the, but from from 75 minutes onwards, just about that part of the question, when Bamford and James came on, it absolutely did 
uh, there was some something of a catalyst for us because James was always looking to make runs beyond and had the pace to get onto the balls, which were going that way. That just stretched the pitch for us and it enabled us to play more vertically. And with Bamford in, in the middle, that also occupied two of the centre-backs because he was constantly buzzing around them, doing Bamford things and not letting them rest. Whereas that just isn't something which Perot does. He looks to drop deep a lot more often. He looked to link and play more. And where Bamford will just constantly be a nuisance for the opposing centre-backs, which obviously does leave that bit more space for Georgie to move into. So that's why he was very effective in that time. But it wasn't just that time where he was effective. That would be my take on this. Adam? going to slightly disagree about the first half. He he was definitely running to traffic a, a lot and turning the ball over. And some of it wasn't even always under an enormous, enormous amount of pressure. There were just quite a few sloppy and heavy touches. But in the second half, he was a huge differential. And not just late on, he just suddenly started to play a lot better when the team structure, like you mentioned, the, the pitch being a bit more stretched for him, it was completely accurate. And there's just more spaces for him to play in. But Vestergaard did another good job, like I mentioned before, of um, being quite tight on him when he when he could. Not letting him... Um, turn essentially like when someone's up his back up his backside he he struggles sometimes to turn but I also kind of get why he demands the ball so much because he is such a huge differential player he can come out and if he can turn out of a, a you know a challenge or, or get away from it and we've seen it so many times this season I remember Blackburn away when he, he kind of had a bit of a heavy touch but then managed to ride the challenge get through and play a really nice pass for James to score it's just moments like that that if it works and we get away with it or he turns out of pressure and hasn't is a sort of running at a defence backpedalling at that point and it's it's really good. Um but I, I think it's just one of them where he just had a few moments again where it just turns over so easily. I don't even have his retention numbers to hand, but it just felt like almost every time he got it in the first half in, in attacking midfield sort of areas around zone fourteen, even even towards the halfway line, anywhere in that sort of area, he was just like constantly just turning into pressure or, or traffic and it's like well, like just release it or pass it on or whatever you know sometimes you can suck a player in and then and then pass it off and that would have been beneficial for him to do that maybe some more in games like that but when Bamford and James come on and stretch the pitch it becomes a lot easier for him 100% yeah I, I agree with Adam on this one um obviously yeah he I don't need to go on about the good stuff um but I did think there was times in the first half where he probably was holding on to it for too long and could have probably passed it on or maybe like passed it back. I get you trying to make stuff happen, but it did it did feel like he was losing the ball not not, not unneeded unneedlessly. That's not even a word, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um at times. I think there's also it wasn't help that he was like just he was just doubled up on quite a lot, wasn't he? Even like there was times when he was just tripled up on in the middle of the pitch. So like sometimes what what could he do? But yeah, I think he definitely improved with that aspect in the second half. Um it did make me think that going forward well not going forward for this season, but maybe in the Premier League you can't control games with Ruster playing behind a striker because he's going to lose the ball so much. So maybe that's something to think about in the summer if we go up. That is is that the position for him long term? But I'm sure we'll we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Um, we've got a follow up from the Discord from Irish Sam, and that he asked Archie always seemed to be in mass amounts of space on the right in the first half, but we rarely found him. Assuming the space was created as Leicester were quadrupling up on Rutter, why did we continue to give Rutter the ball? Ironically, all three goals came from giving him the ball. So, uh, Martin, I'll come back to you on this one. Exactly why we were always giving them the ball, because he's generally the one who will make things happen. And in a game where we are against a team who is as good as us, 
he's going to turn the ball over that little bit more. Yeah, he probably could have moved it up the ball in a little bit quicker. I mean, especially in the early part of the first half. But he also did have a few times where he did fleece the ball nicely and and then carried on with, with his run and received it back again to make a chance. That was, I think, what happened for the one where he played, played through Somerville. Um, that was probably the, sort of been the biggest chance of the game if Somerville had managed to get a shot off. But Vestergaard did well in in that moment. So, yeah, Vestergaard, like Adam mentioned, was on him like a rash all, for, all throughout the game. Um, as the game wore on, I think Rotter got, got the better of him more than what Vestergaard did on him. It was a good 50-50 battle. Um, a sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe sheet performance from Vestergaard. Or should that be sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe Capis? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the point he makes about Archie in a lot of space, we didn't find him often, that was quite interesting as well. Uh, I think it's possibly because he was also having quite tight, tightly marked by on that side by Mavdidi. And that was, he was pulling Mavdidi back, which I think was also creating space. That's why he was moving forward a lot. Often was so Mavdidi had to start deeper, which was effective. I don't think, besides the time where he nearly scored, actually did a good job handling Mavdidi, I think. He, uh, there's a number of times where he, he, he tried to beat him and he, and he couldn't. Um, and even on the chance where he nearly scored, Ray did a really good job with that because Mavdidi's got a lot of pace in his locker and he kept pace with him. And although he could have gone to ground and tried to win the ball that way, but he didn't. He tried, tried to put on as much pressure as he could to try to distract him. And who, know, who knows, that may have paid off. That may have been a part of it. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure but why we didn't go to him more, but I think we really good done. But yeah reason why we went to Rotterdam because all three of the goals came from him doing things that he does and if you don't give him the ball he's not going to do them and sometimes he will go wrong because Leicester are a good team and they're going to force mistakes so yeah anything you want to add Adam? Not too much uh, I, I do agree it's about differential players and you don't want to take off guys like him Somerville uh, I think we haven't even mentioned Somerville's name um, but there's another one who Felt like he was getting doubled up, doubled up on quite a lot, so we weren't able to progress the ball down his side too often. There were a couple of moments, like the one Vestergaard has to dive in, but in general, it's like you have to keep those guys on because they're going to do something, um, and that's all it is. But then when it comes to yeah, using Gray, I think I think it was because we were so sort of pinned in in that area. Leicester attacked on the left side far, far, far more than they did on the right. Um, and even the midfielders would carry the ball towards that sort of area a little bit more. Um, sort of left left side centrally was one of the main areas they were going to. And then Mavadidi was was one of the outlets. So maybe that's another thing. You don't want to necessarily put Gray under too much pressure in that, that sort of zone. Probably part of it as well. But yeah, I do think it is, like I said before, uh, Ruta getting the ball in that space can sometimes just pass it off a little bit more. And, and that's why I don't mind firing into him. But and he just needs to be able to have like one or two secure touches and then play it off quickly. Uh, that probably is sometimes the best plan of action. And he's young. and Maybe that's just another area of his game that will just become a little bit more refined. But he is so good and so much fun. So I'm not going to complain too much. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about um, what you both said about Archie Gray like not getting the ball because... Leads are conscious of Mavadidi. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I think Gray did a, a good job of Mavadidi. I think there was a, probably about a five minute period when Leicester run top in the second half where he got beaten a couple of times and there was a bit of a worry. But yeah, we've seen that with, with Gray before against like Sunderland and probably another get like Preston. But I guess I would probably struggle more against Preston. But mostly he has actually done well against these really good Championship wingers. So we've talked about what Rutter's done well and we've talked about what Rutter's done badly. But is there anyone else? 
for for you, Adam, that you think just stood out that maybe struggled a bit in this game? Yeah, I think there's a few. I won't I won't go into loads and loads of detail. We've already mentioned that Perot really just wasn't very involved. Just one of those games for him. And Somerville, I've mentioned him as well, but I really was unnerved with how poor Junior Furpo was, and we've given him so much praise recently in the last sort of two months now, really, that he's been in the team um, in terms of what he can do with the ball, but so so sloppy and like that I can't get that pass out of my head it was so bad like you can't you can't do that like you just can't against pace and, and attacking quality that they have it's just not <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster um, and defensively he wasn't tested as much because like I mentioned they went more down their left but still think Fatah we got by him a, a few times and I <laughs> just really wasn't impressed with him and I think we do need assigning there if we go up probably um but yeah that's that's the main one i think melier had a strange game where like i said that one save he made was really excellent and he had a couple of other strong moments more about his goalkeeping but then a couple of shonky passes that he played um i really wasn't a big fan of um so there are a few guys that, that struggled a bit i think like you mentioned you weren't huge on groove's performance but i think he uh grew into the game uh so he was he was pretty decent um and i guess yeah we'll talk about players that we really enjoyed as well and i just wanted to give kamara and ampadu probably my biggest shout out quickly for them because they, i thought they were both excellent either of them could have been man of the match and and a particular big shout out to kamara because i think he got man of the match in the first game um against leicester so in two games against the best team in the league he has probably been our best player and that is absolutely brilliant and probably helps when you're thinking about next season in the Premier League and uh, he could probably be a big player for us uh, whether he's a squad player or a starter or a sort of a mixture of both um, given the quality of his performance against such high quality opposition and uh, yeah I absolutely love him his ball carrying and calmness is so good but yeah bad bad players I'd, I'd say Furpo really hurt me <laughs> in my soul <laughs> so yeah he'd probably the minimum I want. Yeah I think I've, I've mentioned my sort of thoughts on Gruev earlier in the pod that I wasn't too enamoured with him to be honest in this one. Uh Piro the same. I do I do worry about him as a if we do go up as a Premier League striker, I think it would be somewhere that if we went up I would want our money to go on a bit I know it feels like we've been saying this for years, but like a more like like Bamford replacement that we can bring on. That his body won't break down when we would like rely on him playing quite a few games. So I'm sure those play, well those players aren't cheap and aren't readily available, but I would like us to spend the money on them if we on one of them if we do go up. Um, and yeah, you've mentioned Somerville there as well, Adam. Um, he, he was doubled up on, but and I've, I've, I don't really know what the answer to it is, is for someone cleverer than me to come up with the answer to this one, but like, does he need to find a way to get himself into games? Like, he can drop deep, but then he's not in the positions you want him in. Or do Leeds need to find a way to get get him into games when he, when he is doubled up on? So I don't really know what the answer is to that one, but he was a bit anonymous, really obviously outside moments but he's always going to have those um so yeah but yeah, i don't really know what the answer is to that one on somerville martin is there anyone else you want to shout out who struggled in this game oh so yeah i agree with a few things we've said there somerville did struggle in this game um especially with these his um final third play and shots particularly um he had the most xg for us um and i don't think he hit the target once i don't think he did and that's uh, quite unlike him. <laughs> Not quite unlike him. Um, yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He had five shots, and none of them were on target. So that's quite unlike him. And he's going to have off days. So I'm not too concerned about Somerville. Um, this was look if I'd already said before the second best team in the league, and we're obviously going to cause some of our players problems. Somerville didn't adapt to this, so that's fine. 
he'll do better next time, I'm sure. Um, but I do disagree on Furpo. Um, and besides that one moment where Fatu took caught him and rolled the ball off him, I felt he was largely solid. He, but he didn't actually lose a single duel against a dribbler. He won three out of three of the dribble duels that he had, and say that he was up against a very renowned dribbler in Fatu. I think probably this could have been a lot worse. And there's also that really lovely, really calm you know, when the ball was like crossed over and instead of like hoofing it forward, he just sort of chest it down to Melier. That was just a very calm and composed moment. Yeah, in the that was of the nice box. actually. Yeah. So I felt like he, he wasn't, he, he didn't play amazing. I also don't think he was as bad as what Adam said there. Um, so that, that's what I want to say on that. He also had second most tackles and interceptions for, for us. So he definitely did have a defensive contribution in there. Um, and then Perot, I've already said, he was ineffectual in this game and didn't really bring anything dramatic. He was, he was reasonable in the, in the press. That was probably the one to say I'd say that it was all right from him. But the rest, in, in possession, he was ineffectual totally. And coming on, you saw the difference in what a true nine can do. And we definitely do need to bring in proper nine like Bamford when we go up to the Premier League because Perot isn't going to cut it in that regard. And I think that's about it for players who struggle. We've already covered Roden. Um, we've already covered um, the players. Actually, did, actually graded really well in this game, I, I felt, overall. Um, he was very good at getting passes off, and he wasn't taking too long on the ball. He was good from a defensive standpoint. Also, was was the one who had the most uh, tackles and interceptions with five, two interceptions and three tackles. So he had a very good game overall, and after the goal just capped it off. It was great for him to score, even if it did take two deflections before it went in. It was definitely his goal, though. It was going to be just... It was going to go in off the bar, is my view. It was just, just going to sneak in the far corner. You try telling the crowd that. Archie Gray scored that goal. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I said. Yeah, that's what I said. He, he yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm, that's, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. They'll they'll check that on Monday, the, the panel that does this for the games. Feels like an awful job to have. <laughs> Taking goals off people. <laughs> Taking goal it's off a seventeen-year-old. It's invigilator, isn't it? Like, who wants to do that? Yeah. <laughs> who optionally signs up for that? So dumb. Sorry, we've actually disagreed more on this pod than usual, haven't we? Though uh, I, I just wasn't happy with Furpo. Uh, I guess I think it also ties in with the the some struggles for build up and maybe him not being an option always that you want him to be. I get that he he didn't struggle too much against Qatar, and you maybe were expecting him to have a, a few more problems than he had, but I still wasn't very happy with him. But that's just yeah. Maybe no, I'm just fine. biased against him. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Um, but yeah, the after who I thought performed the best, it's got to be with Ter. All three goals came from him. Um, he, the goals wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have forced his way into the box on both those occasions. And so yeah, and I'll say where he won the foul for the free kick, that came through him as well, where the guy just chopped him down. I'm still unsure whether that was a red card. Very close. Um, but yeah, he, he could well have got himself in that moment if he wasn't brought down. Um I think I think we've just about covered everyone, both good and bad now. Tom's got anyone different to add? But I would actually say I I didn't notice Furpo had a bad game, and I think that's I take that as a win with Junior Furpo. So I'm guessing I'm agreeing with that, Martin, on that one. Um, in terms of if I, there is a question on the running on about man of the match, which you both answered, so I will say my man of the match was Kamara because he just he stood up very well to Leicester's press and was very good at retaining possession. So yeah, he, I came away from the game was like. But Kamara was definitely my man of the match. I didn't have any doubt in my mind on that one. And when there weren't passes on, he just like grabbed the ball, carry it for 15 yards, and that was great. And I loved that. And takes away a bit of pressure from other players, and again opens up a few more angles potentially. So yeah, really, really happy with him. I'm conscious of the time, so I'm actually just going to skip ahead onto the last question, which 
is Adam. Are we going up as fucking champions? We've sworn more on this podcast than usual. <laughs> a lot more. Um, I'll start by saying that you should really believe, um, and I'm not going to take that away from anyone. I personally don't think we're going to do it. I think we might fall just short, and I'll explain why now. But I, I really want to hope that we can, and I'm still saying there is a chance we could do it 100%. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not possible i just think it's unlikely is the way i deem it so i don't want everyone to jump on me and be like oh why is that adam so negative it's literally just my personal view um when you look at points per game which is genuinely one of the better ways to do it um we're projected now to get 97 whereas Leicester are projected to get 106 now i would i would be a little bit surprised if they managed to get to that total but there's still every chance they're going to get to like 99 100 um which means we're going to have to be pretty good uh in order to overtake that from now to the end of the season now are we playing pretty good for the most part now yep and it wouldn't take a huge amount to overturn it but it's just one of those where I think there's just quite a lot of work to do uh we have to win six or more points in 12 games which doesn't sound impossible we've caught up quite a lot of course we have but we also have to hope that you know we don't drop too many ourselves because every time we do that it gives them an opportunity to pull away or to increase the sort of revert back to the the amount of points clear they were before and it's just quite a lot of games and and you've got to think like there's tough games coming up for us but also there's there's teams scrapping who are going to need points as well and i think we're going to throw at least one of the last 12 games in where it's the championship like you're not just going to win them all we're not going to win the next 12 and then we've won 21 games in a row we are closing in on the record actually but uh, for, for most consecutive wins we only need two more to break that but we're not going to suddenly win all of them it's just not going to happen so we'll throw a game like a Stoke or a, like we have earlier in the season for example like it will happen again we're not losing to Stoke you know, we don't it, never lose to Stoke Adam come on uh, it's just on? one of them like, it'll happen it might be Stoke it might be Chef Wednesday it'll be something like that where it'll just be really annoying um, I hope it's not Chef Wednesday it's the day before my birthday but um, yeah all, all of those that are, there's, there's a potential banana skin and that's where i just think it might be like we close the gap up more i do think that'll happen but i think they might just just stay ahead of us but it was it was big to win obviously it, it could have been a 12 point gap it could have remained at nine points if we'd drawn and instead it's down to six so it was a big kind of six pointer in that in that regard it's just that i think there's a, a hell of a lot of work to do and i wouldn't be surprised because i think based on this game and, and this is what the main point is for me that i don't think we're going to do it based on how they played it made me think yeah, they're good. They they are the other really really good team in this league, and I I do think there's a reason they've got the amount of points they've got, and they will continue to pick up um at a fairly good rate. Now, I wouldn't be surprised. I think last time they lost two games in a row was actually Middlesbrough and Leeds, like it was now, which is quite funny. But then they managed to go on a little run again, so it just wouldn't shock me if they they went and did that. So yeah, that's that's the long answer, I guess. But the short answer is, I would say it's possible, but a little bit unlikely. But but by all means, get carried away and believe, and I hope you both do as well. I'll, before I come to Martin, I'll just say, obviously, points per game. I get, I get where you're coming from. Um, if you go on flash score and uh, go on form, so you can look at the last five, last 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 games, we are top of all of those. So it's just, if you t- it's kind of like, I know I know the whole, all the games count towards the final result, but like it's just that bad start. And since then, we've arguably been better than Leicester. And there's still, a f- what, are 12 games to go. I think there's a lot, lot will happen. I I, say it. Go on, I'm say a betting it. man, so like I would say that Leicester will win the league, but I think there's a very good chance we do win the league. Um, I just feel like with the way we're playing right now, I, I, I think we drop less points than Leicester, and I, I feel like we might be able to overcome that six-point gap because really that's like if 
you suddenly look at Leicester lose one game and it's three points and it really doesn't feel like a no, big gap. It true. still feels like a big gap at the moment, but it one one result next week and suddenly we're like, it's on. And I, I think most people then maybe arguably make us favourites at that point. Um, so I don't think it takes a lot for it to switch. And I, know, I remember in that first Bielsa season, it just felt like, you look. She, yeah, I, I remember like looking at the games at the end of the season and like comparing us to Sheffield United and going, "They're going to win all those games. We're going to win all those games." They just like doesn't happen like that at all. So, I I just I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Put it that way. Good way to put but, it. Um, yeah, Martin, I'll give you the final word. We're going up as fucking champions, in my opinion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just I've just now looked at the table where it was from the 25th match day, which is 10 matches ago. And Leicester were 17 points ahead of us. So we've made up 11 points in the past 10 games. So ah, fine. We're fucking going up as champions. You've got me. So <laughs> if, we, if we can do that in that time period in 10 games, with 12 games to go, it's definitely not unrealistic to say that we could make up another six, seven points until then. And yeah, just we have more momentum at the moment. And if Leicester do lose a third in a row, Oof, oof. that would be started to make some head loss times for them and just losing two games in a row to two of the teams who are good in this league against Borough and then against us is definitely something which would set alarm bells, alarm bells going in Leicester's fan base. If, if I was there now, I would be a little bit worried. They, they will obviously still go up, so it doesn't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things because if, going up is the main objective. So win the league is secondary, but it would be nice to have that title once more, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. If you, I'm just looking at Leicester's fixtures here. <laughs> so they've got QPR next week. I'm, I'm going to like this is supposed to be a short question, but um, Le- Leicester have got QPR next week, which they should win. But QPR improved from they have, yeah from last time I checked, which I don't really check QPR's fixtures that um, much. But then they've got Sunderland away, Hull away, Southampton at home, and I would say that's quite a hard run. So, so suddenly it's like, but then I guess we're like we've got Huddersfield next week, we've improved quite a lot as well. So. The championship is inconsistent, guys. It will change a lot. And in two weeks' time, we might be worried about finishing in the automatics again. So It does change quickly. Um, and yeah, we, I think it's more important to keep that gap between us and, and Southampton and Ipswich. And like, it's now increased on Southampton after we were however many points back on match day 25. So it is possible. It's just it, it, the, it, the run we've been on has had more... Uh, kind of, it goes against what I'm about to say a little bit because when you when you go on a run like that and you close up the points that much, it's, it's quite funny. But um, I think at the bottom end of the table, three points has such a bigger effect normally than at the top because obviously it's easier to go on a little run and you just jump places in the table. You can take yourself from 20th to 12th in a very, very quick time if you go on a run of like three or four games of winning. Whereas at the top, it just feels like everyone's winning all the time. So it's still possible. Yeah, um, I'm going to say we're going to do it then. You've changed my mind. Well done, guys. There is an alternative world where Ipswich win the league and then everyone's just laughing and crying at the same time. Unless they're losing the playoffs like Hull or something, yeah. And let's leave the pod there. <laughs> I think that's a good end. Leicester losing in the playoff final. It's like quite a nice end to the pod. Uh, go to, actually, before we finish, has anyone got anything else they want to say? Because I'm conscious that there's so much to talk about in this game. Does anyone want to just say anything that they haven't had a chance to say before I cut you off? Or should we all go to sleep and just think about winning the league? Yeah, it's all good. Good stuff. So I'll bring that to a close. Uh, we've got a quick reminder that the Patreon, where can they find that, Martin? Patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Lovely stuff. So I'm sure if anyone is still listening at this point, it's been a long pod, this one. Um, thank you if you're still with us. But that is everything for tonight. 
we will be back very soon and we're actually going to preview a FA Cup game despite Cup football not being real football in the words of Darren Driver um, because we are playing Chelsea on Wednesday so me and Adam are on that one that should be a fun one um, but until then I will say thank you to Martin thank you as well thank you Adam thank you handsome just going to throw me off there thank you very much and thank you everyone for listening bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.